time with pastor monty a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture at the top of the show today let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show and for all of you on youtube hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows the truth time with pastor monty broadcast is a part of the lathia bible fellowships online podcast network of shows called the vrm if you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. This is Truth Time. I'm Pastor Monty, and uh, welcome. I'm sitting here with Pastor Josh. Hello. And we're going to be talking about a number of things today. Uh, we're going to start off with the Christ Factor. We're going to start off with the Christ Factor. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I think producer Jasmine was like changing the batteries or something. Yeah, something that uh, was more important evidently. All righty, so we have been in Colossians chapter 2, and um, we left off with uh, talking about the fullness of who Christ is, uh, and that he is uh, head over every power and authority, and then he makes this statement in chapter 2, verse 11, and in him you are also circumcised not with the circumcision uh, performed by hands, human hands, your whole self ruled by flesh uh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised him uh, through your faith working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ He forgave us all our sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, for he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So um, just wanted to touch briefly on the issue that he puts it in. He puts it in such a fashion that he's uh, using an analogy, as it were, as to what happened in our our relationship with Christ, and he says that that uh, in Christ we were circumcised. Now, the the Jewish people, from a from a Jewish perspective, the 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 act of circumcision was a the vehicle that God chose uh, to set Israel apart from other men, so uh, from other nations. So here you have, um, you know, Abram 
was was uh, Abram, right? Abram. Abraham. Abraham yes. was to take and to circumcise um, all not, of his, not only his son, yep. but everybody in his whole arena, and himself, and himself. We're talking about an old dude. That would be that. Yeah, I just have so much respect. Um, <laughs> yeah, he had to uh, go through the process. So basically, the process of uh, you know cutting off the foreskin um, from the penis, and the purpose of that was to say that that the the uh, the men of Israel and thus the extension the families of Israel were set apart. Uh, to God, specifically, and that this would be a sign of that being set apart. So, if you were, if you were a um, a non-Jew, mm-hmm. a Gentile, so, as, yeah, Gentile, as we're called, yeah. So, all all Jewish male children uh, running forward then from Abraham were circumcised on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. And I won't get into the medical aspect of it, but it, that apparently that's the actual best day for circumcision to take place. But but um, uh, they're circumcised on the eighth day as uh, they're set apart um, as uh, as God's people. Have you ever watched a circumcision? Um, actually watched it? No. It's interesting. Yeah, I'll bet it is. Yeah, you know, both you and Monty were circumcised, but oh, but, TMI, and, and on the eighth day as well, <laughs> and on the eighth day as well. So but, is my son. Yeah. So, but, but the, um, but if you were a a Gentile, and you wanted to become a proselyte of Judaism, that is, you wanted to follow the teachings of Judaism, you were also required to be circumcised. There is a cost. Yes. Yes. There's <laughs> indeed. And it is a, it is a good thing, as far as uh, God is concerned, being set aside and and uh, as uh, uh, making yourself separate from the the remainder of humanity. Mm-hmm. But it's also been used as uh, not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> Back in Genesis, remember that the uh, the sons of uh, Abram. Mm-hmm. Uh, used this as a, a it was weapon. Sons of Jacob. Yeah, the sons of Jacob mm-hmm. used this as a weapon in order to annihilate a whole people that opposed them. It was, I think, it was Simeon and Levi, yeah. and they—I could be wrong about that—but they went and slaughtered the people in the town of Shechem. Yeah, they 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 told the people uh, of Shechem that that the men of Shechem that in order for them to become uh, proselytes of Judaism mm-hmm. that they had to be circumcised, and then while they were uh, recovering right. from the process, they went and murdered everybody. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I mean, evil. You know, I mean, it's it's it's, it's genius, but it's really not nice. It was bad form. To be clear, it was a revenge plot because they had raped their sister. Yeah. Yeah. So it. It wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just doing nasty things, you know. It was, but yes, it it was not good. Yeah, yeah, bad form. 
Um, you can read about that in Genesis. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting reading. But the point here is that, um, so this is what the Apostle Paul is alluding to. Now, what he's essentially saying is that when you come to Christ, that Christ performs uh, through in the, in the there's a, uh, you know, Josh and I have talked about this before. Pastor Josh and I have talked about this before. We've talked about the fact that, that within the actual baptism, so the physical baptism where where you um, there, where you uh, die to sin. So you're you're buried in the waters of Christ. You die to sin. You're you're dunked all the way. You are immersed in the water, and then you come out of the water. Uh, we've talked before about the symbolism that is present and the importance of that symbolism to the believer. Um, but one thing we didn't spend a lot of time on, but is mentioned here, is that part of that symbolism is the fact that in that process of being baptized, uh, we are set apart. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Apostle Paul is alluding to. He says, so the circumcision of the heart is not pertaining to the physical circumcision of uh, cutting the foreskin off of the penis, but the, but the circumcision of the heart is, does the same thing through the process of baptism that uh, as a people we are set apart unto God and separated from the rest of mankind because of the work of Christ on, on the cross of Calvary. It's a powerful image. Well, yeah, and specific to your sin were were separated. I think, so, yeah, circumcision is sort of like a non-talked-about thing in our culture. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of guys, even who are circumcised, don't really understand it. But the long and short of it is, is that there is a, their skin is on, the, the natural created state of the penis is that there is extra skin that covers the head of the penis going all the way to the metis, if you will. And the, what happens is um, in the natural process of intercourse that the outer skin gets pulled back and um, exposes the head, right? Which, uh, not completely, but it exposes the head basically more. And so basically your, the, 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 the nerve endings are covered most of the time right. by this this skin that's supposed to um, keep it from being sensitive. And so what you're looking at is this thing, this this skin covering that makes uh, that keeps sensitivity away from from the penis, basically. So when the Jews cut this off, this extra skin, they're exposing the sensitivity of this organ that is really interesting. And if you think about what it is, this organ is a means to get rid of um, uh, things that your body can't process. Right. You like, know, liquid like waste, right? Yeah, liquid yeah. waste. Yeah. And it's also a means to create life. Yes. Right? And it's also a means for, um, in the creation of life, There's it's a means for relationship. It's a means for pleasure. There's all sorts of different aspects, right? And so there's another, not actual organ, but symbolic organ for, for human beings, which is the heart, 
right? And this is why there's this like sort of crude adage that the head of the penis is like the head of the human or that a, a guy thinks with two heads, the head of his penis and the head of a human. Well, you have to understand in Jewish culture that unlike in American culture where there's a there's a separated state of rationality where we say that the head and the heart are separate from each other, in Jewish culture, the head and the heart are essentially the same thing. Right, right, right. And so basically what you have is the is uh, Paul saying that the exposing of the the head of the penis is like exposing the head of the heart in the sense that it becomes this this object that gives life that um, that uh, filters things that keeps your body going uh, that is a a point of connection in like romance relationship all of these things is now exposed specifically to God and that the thing that was covering it this this thing that made it unsensitive to God and to man quite frankly right. needs to be cut off and thrown away um, yeah and I think I think specifically about how uh, the Old Testament talks about the heart is made of stone that's right. what I always think of when I think of like the part of the heart that needs to be circumcised is the right. stony outside of it yeah so so the so the Apostle Paul is basically saying that uh, what during the baptism process through the work of Christ on the cross, through our association with him dying and raising to a new life, part of that process is the circumcision of setting us apart and removing all of the past and throwing that away. Mm -hmm. So that we are, you know, because he said you're no longer, see, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ, forgiving us for our sins. For he has canceled the debt. He has canceled the debt which stood against us and condemned us, and he has taken away to the nailing of the cross. Such a, a powerful statement then to remind that, uh, us as believers that we have been set apart and that we no longer live according to what was in the past, uh, because that is dead and thrown away, but through the work of Christ on the cross, we have been freed from that and freed to move forward and walk in a life of faith. Yeah, and I think that there's a um, the, the mark of circumcision, which was a distinctive mark for the Jewish people, is very much like the marks of Christ, you know, in, in the sense of like, um there's a there's a lasting um there's a, there's a lasting distinction that needs to take place when we when we do that so um for the penis it abs it changes the said this sounds like such a crude conversation but i mean god is you know it's god's design um the for the penis it absolutely changes the contour of what the penis looks like and it leaves scarring behind to be circumcised. I mean, a good doctor is not going to make it look, you know, strange. But that being said, like, it leaves scarring behind to make it circumcised. And, and I think that that's what you're looking at is the heart um, is not going to walk out of this untransformed. The right. contour of the heart is going to be changed. It's going to look different. 
and and it should be because it's more exposed, more vulnerable, more capable of um, of creating life, right, and of getting rid of waste. So the so the the thing that we'll leave you with this morning. Uh, in regard to this, as we next week uh, pick up the discussion of the Apostle Paul, uh, still in uh, chapter two, is that this is what this this is why your coming to Christ and your baptism can stand for you as a memorial to remember back to, so that when you're confronted with aspects of your life which run contrary to who you are in Christ, you can come back to that moment and you can say, I was set apart. Yeah. And I am no longer controlled by what happened in my past. Yeah, it's not a mark on your body, but it is a mark in your history. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, we're going to leave that there and we're going to move forward and uh, talk about relationships. Now, when we concluded last week, we concluded with just beginning to talk a little bit about the idea, the mechanism of playing catch. And Pastor Josh um, told me that he doesn't know if my metaphor is working because young people today don't play catch. That's right. It's a dying metaphor. Whoever said and, that baseball is America's pastime uh, lived a century ago. <laughs> well, you know, that may be true. And, uh, but that being said, I'm going to figure out who that was. I want to encourage y'all that if you haven't tried to play catch, that you try playing catch and then you will readily understand the metaphor that I use because the, I, I, you know, I thought about it this week, trying to think of a modern metaphor for, uh, somehow talking about playing video games or, Right or uh, or or text or uh, social media. No, I really think that's and, what it is. It's messaging. Yeah. Like, do you message in all caps? Do you message with emojis? Do you message with gifts? You know, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's still lacking, though. It's still lacking. I mean, um, I, r- right, right. I mean, in order to to work, yeah. You're trying to make it into a game, and messaging isn't a game, but no messaging is not a game. And so I, and, and so the reason, and now here's the deal. And this is the reason why we play. This is the reason why I use the analogy of, uh, playing catch. And I think it's a good analogy is because if you watch two individuals who are skilled at playing catch, mm-hmm. um, you know, they they, they throw to each other, they, they, uh, catch, um, and if they're really skilled, they can even do, you know, um, fast and furious, hard, hard game of catch. Uh-huh. You know, when I was growing up and we would uh, practice uh, baseball, you know, you, we got pretty good at, at playing catch and, and what have you. But, but you watch somebody do that. It's just like any skill. You watch somebody do that from the sideline and you watch them and you say, wow. That's really cool. That looks easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and then, you know, you say, well, okay, it's easy. So come on, let the, play catch with me. And you find out really quickly that when you actually have to play catch, it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. Not that easy. Because we go back to the illustration that is being given, 
that, uh, you know, there's so many factors that you have to take into account. You know, how, how, how far apart are you? You know, are both of you equipped? You know, it's not a fun thing to play catch if, if, uh, if you're playing with a hardball, for example. You both need mitts. Mitts, yeah. And, and uh, even the type of mitt will uh, determine whether you're, uh, you know, whether you're able to play catch effectively or not. For those of you that are not baseball fans, you know, special mitts are used by the catcher, for example, over a regular fielder's mitt. And there's a reason for that. So, you know, are you equipped with the right kind of mitt? Do, uh, you know, do you, do you have the, uh, uh, you know, if you're playing with a ball, for example, that it just a, a, like a rubber ball. When we were, when we were kids, we used to play, um, uh, I don't know if you know the name of it. Um, you know, the, uh, the game where a uh, prison ball, we used to play prison ball. Hmm. And where you'd uh, throw the ball into the arena of people, and then if it hit somebody, they had to go to the prison of the opposite side. Is that not just dodgeball? Yeah, it's dodgeball. There's no name for dodgeball. Okay. So Dodgeball, I think, is like illegal in schools now. It's so sad. So is that sad. a form of bullying? Bunch of whoop wusses. You would want to break those snowflakes. But if you have, uh, if you're playing prison ball or dodgeball, um, you know, you had to have the right size of ball. Sure, of course. In order to be able to, you know, have fun with the game. So and the right softness of ball. And yeah, and so then, you know, so when you think about, so you, you, both of you were equipped the way you're supposed to, and now, you know, you have to ask the questions of, you know, how how far apart are we going to stand? Mm-hmm. And then how are you going to throw the ball? Are you going to throw it, you know, then how you throw the ball is going to be dependent upon the skill level of the person that is receiving it. Now, remember that we're using this as an analogy for communication. So what we're really talking about is when you're sitting down to talk with somebody, in this case we're talking about the intimacy that takes place between husband and wife, for example. When you're sitting down to talk with somebody, you know, you have to ask the question, are you both equipped correctly to handle the conversation? And I'm just going to throw out there, I know, you're going to write me letters or notes or whatever, and you're going to say, wow, Pastor Monday. But you know what? Sometimes husbands and wives are not equipped the same in regard to conversation. And, and so, you know, and so that means if that's the case, then um, each, each partner has to evaluate uh, where they're at and adjust accordingly as they begin their game. Well, I would go so far as to say that at all times, husbands and wives are not equipped um, the same. We, we, they can be at different... Right, because who got created us to be, yes. I, I, yes right. right, well, just um, as male and female, right. but then on top of, you know, on top of that, they can have the same skill level right, and therefore be able to communicate you know, within that, but we take different means to get to our skill levels. Yes. And, and, uh, it helps if you have some understanding of the way that women function versus the way men function Mm -hmm. and how it is that they communicate as far as, you know, right brain, left brain, or both at the same time. There's, there's lots of things. So those, all those things can catch, can affect the game. 
So the first thing you have to do is you have to assess who who your partner is in regard to uh, how you're going to play this game and and what you're going to throw out in regard to conversation. And then the and once you make that assessment, that will determine whether you um, what type of conversation you use. Are you speaking too uh, hard? Are you speaking not? hard enough are you you know are you is there understanding that comes back to our discussion of uh, using uh, active listening skills mm-hmm. in order to verify that you said you that that she heard this phrase that she heard what you thought you said because mm. there are lots of times you know as guys say something and and we have a specific understanding of what we're saying but our wives hear it and they go crazy with it. Uh, that's my experience. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, and then, <laughs> and vice versa. The, yeah. 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 But, and then you're backpedaling going, no, 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 no. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And so then you have to use those skills that we talked about, uh, in regard to, uh, to eye messages and, and, uh, making sure that there's agreement. So, so the idea of using catches to now is of an analogy and how it is that you, uh, you communicate is, is, uh, I think an important thing and one to consider. Yeah, sure. Now another, another aspect, and then we'll close this and, and move on in regard to, uh, uh, talking about relationships and move from the husband and wife. Um, another aspect of it is is that oftentimes what gets into the uh, what gets into the way of effective communication uh, between individuals and between husbands wives particularly uh, we talk about the importance of uh, understanding roles and so who when I'm when I'm talking to my spouse um, who am I talking to <laughs> now, now you you say to yourself, well, of course you should know who you're talking to. Do you mean uh, what are you talking to? No, who are you talking to? What role is is uh, what role are you placing the individual that you're talking to in? So, and we we do this in marital in marriage counseling. I do this with hats, mm. and and uh, we get about uh, ten different hats or so, and I ask the the couples to write down the different roles that they have that they play in life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, mother, father, uh, daughter, uh, you know, um, worker, you know, all, all those different roles, uh, you know. Uh, and, so, and so as they communicate between husband and wife, they need to communicate on the level of husband and wife. So here's an example. You know, I come home from work, and I'm a manager at work, and all I deal with employees and, and their, uh, is with employees and their non-solutions. My employees don't come to me with solutions. They come to me with problems and no solutions, and I have to remind them, if you're going to come to me, don't give me a problem. Let's talk about solutions. Right. What are we going to do with it? So, you know, you have to kind of to ease your employees along, and, uh, and it takes a different uh, communication skill. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, she's at home taking care of, uh, of kids. she got three kids in the house, and uh, 
two of them are toddlers and one's a preteen and she's juggling the responsibilities of dealing with those kids on different levels and when I come home um, she's exhausted because she's been dealing with those kids. Well, I'm exhausted too, but I have to remember when I come home, I need to take my manager hat off and put on my husband hat. So that when I talk to her, I don't talk to her like one of, she's one of my employees where I might be uh, demanding and curt with her. You know, I have to remember that I'm talking to my wife. On the other hand, uh, my wife may snap back at me in regard to something I say because she hasn't taken her mom hat off and approached me as uh, as a wife. She instead is still thinking of me in the framework of dealing with children. And so that can vastly complicate the uh, the communication relationship. And so understanding those dynamics, and so what I do is I talk with, uh, uh, pre, in premarital counseling, I talk with the people about the fact that, you know, what when you are talking with your spouse and you're having communication, what hat are you wearing? And is the hat appropriate then to the conversation that you're trying to have? And oftentimes the reason there is a breakdown in communication between spouses is exactly because of that because they haven't uh, taken off one hat put on another so that they're talking in the right frame of reference and that's not that's harder than you think sure yeah yeah i th- i think it's um yeah it's simplistic in terms of um, like it's a, it's digestible for most people to operate with that example. I think. Well, that's the point. Right. No, I I think that 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 is that is something. I guess my question is, how do you counsel somebody who can't? Nah, hmm, how do I say this? So oftentimes, so there are some hats which are which are monolithic, and then some hats which are not. You know, where you're wearing five hats at the same time and you cannot take off one of those hats. So at what, like, how do you counsel that? Well, part so so part of counseling that is to to take the individual, first of all, part of this has to do with self-realization so that they realize that they're operating within uh, these roles, first of all. You mean self-awareness? Yeah, self-awareness. They realize that they're operating within these roles to begin with. So one of the things, I don't define the roles for them. Uh I have them take out a piece of paper and I have them think about what are your roles. And I give them some example of what I mean. And then they sit down and they write out what their roles are. So that they're first of all aware that these roles exist. And then the second thing that we do is we begin to to say, okay, so, so in your breakdown of communication... What role do you normally operate within? And they begin to become uh, aware of the fact that they, they're doing things uh, which are counterproductive to what they're trying to accomplish. So it is a process of bringing them to an awareness that they need to be, change those roles 
when they're speaking with their spouse. You think that's possible, though? Oh, in yeah. Some circumstances. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's but it but it's time consuming, and it's one of those things that, as you know, Josh, when you're counseling people that have uh, complex dynamics in their life, it's not a flip of the switch. Sure. It's a process that you go through. Because because not only are you in the counseling part of it, you're helping them to uh, to to see what a tool is and learn how to utilize it. But then they get the practicum of going home and trying to begin to practice it, so that when they come back to counseling, we say, okay, so let's do a let's do a review. How to go this week? Did you did you see this happening? Mm-hmm. You know, were you able to take corrective steps so that they begin to realize that that's the pro that what's what's happening and why there's communication breakdown? Yeah, it's. A, I understand that you, you see that it's a little bit simplistic, but sometimes simplistic mechanisms are helpful in overcoming uh, complex issues. Taking no. things one step at one step at a time. Yeah, definitely. For me, the difficulty in it is just in regard to, um, like that works with certain things, but then other things don't. They just it just doesn't work that way. Well, and sure. I think specifically, like um, asking a mother to not be a mother but to be a wife. I think we like our definition has to like part part of what makes a mother with children a good wife is the fact that she is taking into account being a mother. And so like for me it's less of taking off a hat or like thinking of them as ha- I guess for me that's a silo system and I don't sure I don't really believe in silo systems. I think that silos are good mechanisms for organization, but they're but you're organizing the whole, right? And so holistic understandings of who we are is is in my mind the the more uh, honest. Well, what I would say, Josh, is that in trying to perfect that as a mechanism, which would be workable for a couple having communication difficulty, I would encourage them to um, to have their time of intimate talk um, away from distractions, which would cause them to wear other hats. Mm-hmm. So wait until the children are all put down to bed and and then have a quiet discussion between the two of you. Right. So um, those are functional roles, but yes. but I'm thinking of um like in, like let's say that you've got somebody who's going through uh, some sort of, you know, trauma, some sort of abandonment issue that has developed residuals that make them um you know, uh anxious and have bad attitudes uh, or bad ways of dealing with problems to, um, that manifest in something like a drug habit or an addiction or something like that, right? Anxiety has brought them to this point, but it's connected to something like abandonment, right? So in a conversation, the, the in a counseling conversation between like a husband and a wife, I what I need, uh, let's say the wife is the one with the issues, what I need for the husband is to, in the same vein, view the wife as having wifely responsibilities and motherly responsibilities. I also need the husband to view the wife as being a, a scared kid that's afraid of abandonment. Like yeah. I need, I need the what I need is for um, 
a meeting of the minds with more complexity and nuance. So really what I want is for people to put more hats on, not the opposite when I'm counseling generally. I want them to like, I want you to understand how many hats your spouse is carrying. Um, and that doesn't, that yeah. doesn't necessarily not fit within the framework of what I'm describing. What I'm really saying, Josh, is that this is a tool for individuals to use. And it's not locked in concrete. Yeah. It's not a methodology which is do A, B, C, and you come up with D. It is a, it is a flexible uh, mechanism which you can adjust to the nuances and needs of each couple. Mm-hmm. But it is a tool that you can take down and use, and you can modify uh, so that it's productive to your overall um, trying to address the issue. Sure. Yeah. So these these are some of the things. And as I said, when we talked, when we uh, initially just took the sidestep for a second to talk about some of these things, it's because of the fact that the um, the marriage relationship is probably the most complex relationship that we enter into as uh, as humans as god has created us and so it has some uh, some special dynamics to it uh, that uh, i think these are as we've mentioned them these are some helpful mechanisms to help husbands and wives in their communication and therefore in the solidity uh, the uh, solidity solidity of their um, their relationship solidity you know <laughs> It's a real word. Put, is it? Look it up. It would be solidarity. No. I'm pretty sure that it's solidarity. No, solidarity is different than solidity. All right. I'm going to look it up right you now. You do that. You just enjoy yourself. Okay. Let's move on to uh, what's my take? <laughs> so... Uh, couple things well there there are just tons of things going on right now um a couple things i'll i'll just mention uh that are kind of in the headlines this week and and uh talk about them just briefly uh we still got the war uh in the ukraine going on and um vladimir putin has not reached his goal of wanting to just walk in and taking over Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's a little bit frustrated with that. So now he's called in uh, one of his most ruthless uh, generals uh, to go in and, and try to finish the deal. Um, he's really in denial of a couple of things. Uh, they've been... Um, in, in in war, I know we don't see much of it or all... All we understand is, uh, you know, all we understand uh, nowadays, because it's so far removed from our recent history, is, um, you know, that war is something that that happened in the past and we don't really see the, the, what happens now. But uh, war is not a, a cool thing. Um, you know, during, there are lots of atrocities that take place in the name of war that is justified by the name of war. Now we have, the United States has a sense of morality and the, the, the world has adjusted somewhat to that, but we have a sense of morality so that if, uh, for example, during the Vietnam War, when certain, uh, like for example, when there were villages that were 
massacred. There were investigations that took place in order to determine uh, whether or not war crimes were committed by the soldiers that were present. The Nuremberg trials? No, no, no. Nuremberg is, is uh, World War II. Oh, sorry. That's what I thought you said. I'm My mind is still on solidity yeah. and solidarity. <laughs> this is no. I'm talking about the Vietnam War. Ah, uh, yes. Um, but, um, you know, we're not allowed to use, during World War II, of course, we had issues with different type of gases that were being used. For example, the Germans developed mustard gas. Uh, subsequent to World War II, it was determined that using gas, various gases or chemicals in order to destroy your opponent is a bad form and not allowed. You know, this might be slightly inappropriate culturally, but I've never thought about the fact that it was the Germans who developed mustard gas. Oh, yeah. The Germans are all about mustard in their food. I'm just saying. Anyway, it'd be like if the Irish developed potato gas. <laughs> okay, Josh. You understand mustard <laughs> gas is not... From mustard, mustard seeds? Mustard, yeah, okay. No, I don't understand that. I know nothing about chemical warfare. <laughs> well, they also developed, uh, for example, the Germans also, they they also developed uh, LSD. Did they? Yeah, LSD was developed. And the BMW. Yes, they, yes, they did. <laughs> um, LSD was developed so that the Germans would give LSD to their soldiers. Oh, to make them more compliant? Which would, no, more fearless. Oh, okay. Sure. They would, they would charge into anything. It's like angel dust. They, th- they thought that yeah. they were supermen. Um, well, they were certainly being primed for it. Yeah. So, um, by, so the, by the way, on solidity and solidarity, yeah, you are correct that sol- solidity is a term, but it refers to the state of something being solid. As I just said. As opposed to solidarity, which refers to relational solidity no if you will i meant it as i used it all right then so the i think the, you could i think you I'm, could but use it that that, but i'm glad that you admitted that, that the correct. old man knows something well you're correct in the fact that there's a, a word okay that's and you I, know known as solidity and i'm fine with the way i used it all right then so um now i will look up mustard gas so under the nuremberg <laughs> trials a lot of that stuff was done away with under uh, under the Geneva Convention. Uh, a lot of things were agreed to that nations would no longer allow to use certain things. Right. And so what we have happening in uh, with Ukraine right now is that the Russians are doing all kinds of things, like they've bombed schools, they've bombed hospitals, they've indiscriminately killed um, they they've indis- indiscriminately killed uh, innocent uh, people, uh, old people, by uh, children, women, um, and and just you know left a, a carnage uh, all over. They recently shot a missile into uh, a, an air a. a, a a train platform, if I remember, and then said, oh, that's not one of ours. <laughs> well, who the hell do you think is shooting the missiles? Um, yeah, it, okay. So anyway, so he's he's got his... So, so basically, um, what is in the news is that uh, the president of um, Ukraine, uh, Volinsky, basically uh, said that he's tired of dealing with the U.N., and has called the United Nations nothing but a, a feckless, worthless, worthless... Uh, feckless, that's a great word. Yeah, feckless, uh, worthless, uh, 
organization that that can't even live by or follow its own rules. And and uh, I think he's given the most honest assessment of anybody since the formation of the United Nations on how they operate. Hmm. I mean, think about this. The United Nations has on its Security Council, which is made up of 15 nations, so the United Nations has on its Security Council 15 nations, and part of that Security Council includes bad actors like Russia and, and, uh, and China. Mm-hmm. So whenever Russia and China do anything uh, in regard, and and the Security Council says, "Hey, wait a minute, we're going to make a proclamation that that's bad form," Russia and China veto it, hmm. so that so they they can't they can't make any proclamation. But they have no problem whatsoever making proclamations against Israel. Uh, it, yeah, so basically, Velinsky is just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of your nonsense. And so he said, I'm just going to do my best to uh, make sure that my country is not destroyed and we're going to continue to fight. Hmm. Um, so uh, that's interesting. And, and my take on it is, as I said, he's called out probably the most honestly the United Nations uh, for what they really are. And they 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 have no power, they they can't follow their own rules, and uh, <laughs> they're basically worthless. Now, why is that important to you? And I? because we pay for them, we pay for them. See, this is one of the reasons why Trump got himself in trouble because he basically went to the United Nations and said, by agreement, you're supposed to be contributing to keeping NATO together and right. and and you're not contributing uh, what you're supposed to. And it's time for you to pay up. And he and they and under Trump they did. But uh yeah, so anyway, uh the other thing that's going on which is kind of interesting is um you know, uh, you might have heard in the news and I'm sure you did for those of you that follow this stuff. Elon Musk acquired 9% of the uh, uh, stock of um, of Twitter. I did hear about that, and 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 so basically, and, and and so a lot of people are saying that that basically, Elon Musk will start to have influence um, over how Twitter operates because he's always lambasting them, mm-hmm. and so and so. Uh, the speculation was that he would uh, uh, get on the board of Twitter and try to change things uh, by being on the board. But Elon Musk came out this week, a couple of days ago, and said, no, I'm not going to go on the board. Uh, I'm still going to operate from outside of the board. And the reason why he's doing that, here's a couple of reasons. Number one, um, with 9% of uh, Twitter's stock, he certainly has the right to be on the board. But in order to be on the board, he can have no more than 14% of mm. Twitter stock. And he wants and to it, get more? Well, if he, if, and, and if he was on the board, he couldn't criticize Twitter. Interesting. But if he just owns the stock outright, number one, he can criticize all he wants. He can buy more stock. 
In fact, some people are saying that it's possible that he might be positioning himself uh, to do a hostile, hostile takeover. takeover. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, acquire more than 51% of the stock, and then he could basically tell them what he wants them to do. Yeah. Including, and this is why the left are so afraid of this, including uh, things like reinstate, like uh, Trump's Trump and yeah. the Babylon Bee. And, and well, he's a smart guy, so, you know, that would not surprise me. Yeah, so that's the speculation that's going on right now. But he clearly came out this week and said, "I will not be on the board of uh, of Twitter." And of course, the the chairperson for the you know, I, I can't pronounce his name, but the chairperson for Twitter, you know, he basically said, "Well, you know, I mean, with with nine percent, we're going to listen to what he has to say." Hmm. So, <laughs> we'll, do they want? We'll, we'll accept his input. Do they want him on the board so that he can't, so they can sort of lock him into certain behaviors? I think that that's kind of the, um, I think that's that's what they're hoping for. Hmm. At least that's the analysis that is being given. It's the devil, yeah, the devil you know, like keep it closer to your chest. Yeah, so. That's two different metaphors. Currently, um, the the analysts are saying that that he needs to be careful because ever since he acquired the stock in Twitter, he's been having difficulty with the stock in Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know he's, he's juggling a couple. Of, he's got he's got a number of different things. He's got you know he's got Tesla. He's got uh, the work he's doing with NASA and uh, and the space agency. And then of course he's got this thing with with Twitter. But people are saying that. This appears to be his game plan is to acquire more stock and eventually uh, possibly a, a hostile takeover. Mm. So that's what's going on right now. It's kind of interesting. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, but it, his position right now is that I will not be on the board and I'm going to continue <laughs> to criticize uh, what I see happening. The the very left tendencies that I see happening because you know, Elon Musk is is very much in favor of uh, um, you know free speech. Yeah, and, and he's not pro Trump though. He's not pro Trump, but he's but he's pro free speech. Right, and he doesn't he he feels that all those things are censorship. Yeah, yeah, I know that. yeah. He definitely feels that uh, that uh, Twitter has set itself up as a. Is a, its own censorship board. Well, they need to get rid of. They just need to get rid of, uh, like all that stuff. The, yeah. the you know big business type stuff. They have that. Those are the reason why those things are free, um, free services, but also like not um, taxed or fined or whatever. I can't remember what the term is, but well, they're under second. They're yeah. under two thirty. Yeah, they're so, under some sort of sanction that allows yes. them to not be viewed because they're, they're viewed as basically a public utility, right? And I can I can tell you that if the Republicans have the landslide that they feel they're going to, sure seems like it. That you can bet that Congress and the Senate will uh, put together something to to remove that special protection that they have. Under Section 230. Yeah. Now, and, and so for those of you that, you know, so even if 
So the Congress sends a bill to the Senate. The Senate uh, looks at the bill. They send it back to Congress. Then it goes to the president for signature. Uh, the president would deny it. He would, this president would, yeah. He would veto President uh, Biden. Um, Biden would veto it. But if they have enough votes, it can be overridden. Yeah. And and so that's kind of what may be happening in the future. Well, and I think I think you're seeing that turn of the tide. Um, even like like what you were talking about with um, not this week, but you were talking about DeSantis wanting to get rid of special sanctions for Disneyland or Disney World. Well, or yeah, like and, that, and that battle's see, still going on. You're starting to see people get like get fed up with corporations and you know like basically running rampant. Yeah, in part because they, I mean, they they lie. Yeah. So they're presenting this thing as an attack. We talked about this last week. They're presenting this thing as if it's an attack upon the LGBT plus community, or in in, in more blatantly, uh, you know, um, trans community and what have you. The bill is a parental rights bill. Yeah. There's no mention whatsoever of all this other stuff. It's a parental rights bill, basically saying that you cannot uh, teach small children uh, about their sexuality without the knowledge of their parents. So, yeah, and yeah, there's a big battle going on right now there. Well, let's uh, let's close out today. We've covered a lot of stuff. Let's close out today with uh, some fun stuff and what's up with that. Well, you know, as a public service, and I like to do this sometimes, um, for those of you that uh, are seeking uh, employment or some money out there, um, there is an opportunity to make some money if, you, uh, if you're willing to watch 24 hours of uh, true crime, you could earn $2,400. That is the big thing these days, true crime. You know, and so uh, you would have to obviously watch and verify that you watched in a 24-hour scope and then uh, write a report about uh, that they make up for you to write. But just, so I'm just saying, if you're looking for an opportunity, there's an opportunity right there for those couch potatoes out there that just love to watch stuff like that. Um, but it's not specific? Like, is it just... True crime, <laughs> like true the, crime, in the, the show. The, the, yeah, the the show, true crime. Oh, not just, not just the genre of true crime, but the show. Yeah, true the show, crime. true crime. Yeah, man, they're so weird. The things yeah. that they offer money for. Yeah. <laughs> did Did you know that uh, a couple days ago was uh, was National Beer Day? No, but I knew that a couple days ago was National Burrito Day. Oh, but there you go, National Beer Day. This is what happened on National Beer Day. Seth Beer, who is a rookie for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Which is a what type of team? Baseball. Okay. Baseball. <laughs> he, he hit the, the winning home run on National Beer Day. So Beer hit the home run on Beer Day. There you go. Is it spelled the same way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's special. That's cool in in a weird way. <laughs> that's special in a nuanced way. There you go. There you go. 
Well, if that doesn't if that doesn't uh, ring your bell, that doesn't get me going. But yeah, okay. That, okay, well, you know, uh, every every day, no, not every day, every week, every week in in La Belle, Florida. Okay, the city of La Belle. Yes, there's an individual that saddles up his horse. He's a retired bull uh, bull rider. <laughs> And, uh, you know, rodeo days. Uh-huh. He saddles up his horse, and he rides his horse to uh, to um, Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. And goes through the drive-thru. On his horse. On the horse. Okay. And he gets a cup of coffee, and he buys a donut for the horse, a plain donut. <laughs> so he rides up there, and the people that are at the window, they love the horse. He sticks his head there. They pet him. They... Uh-huh. Him to, and then he turns around and he goes home. And that takes him about four hours in order to make that journey. But he's retired, hey. He takes a two-hour trip to Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. So saddles up his horse, rides the horse. Why is this newsworthy? I'm, You know, this is just one of those interesting things. I mean, I things. suppose that is a what's up with does, that. Does it make you think, wow, what's up with that? I guess it does. It serves the purpose, purpose right yeah, there. Yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> um. On the mustard gas issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you okay. Look it up? Yeah, I looked it up. So, uh, again, you are correct. This time you're actually. Do you have like a jingle or something, producer, for when Pastor Monty nails it and I am correct? She's think, looking. Think about that. She's looking. It's so rare, she's never used it. <laughs> there we go. Um, you are correct. Not like the other time where you were correct that the word existed, but wrong in its function. You don't but have this to time, justify yourself. Just <laughs> dwell on the fact that I was correct. But this time, you'll you'll dwell on it enough for both of us. But this time, uh, so mustard gas is expressly just talking about the color. That's yeah, it. Yeah. It's it's from sulfur. Okay. Because sulfur is yellow. Right. But. I think it does illustrate my point. Again, you have to wonder because the Germans, because mustard is like a common food in yeah, Germany, yeah. and you have to wonder if the, if it was developed in, say, America, if it would be, you know, something else. I don't know. You know, urine gas, perhaps, or I, I, I don't know, but you know, the, something else that's yellow. Uh, let me just say that 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 is the only correct way to eat. A uh, hot dog, or is is with mustard in hell? These people that use ketchup, <laughs> they they're they're just uh, they're no sick. no 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 no. They're mentally disturbed. The correct way to eat a hot dog is is first of all, it needs to be like a cheddar worst or something like that. You yeah, know, okay, a big fatty yeah, dog with yeah. you know extra whatever. Yeah, I'm down with that. To eat it with ketchup, uh, but oh, extra relish perversion. <laughs> Extra relish is what you need. Relish is always the left out. Well, like, I'm good with relish. I'm good with relish. There's got to be a mustard. Gross. Yeah. Okay. I remember that you're we, all we, about mustard. We, we we will we will leave our time today on that note. That's all I got. All right then. Uh, oh, hey, one more thing. Um, you were talking about the way that they're going about uh, inundating people. There's a speaker. Um, I, I just want to shout out, not that anybody listens to the show, but <laughs> I just want to shout out. Her name's <laughs> Natasha Crane, and she is a, a, an apologist specifically for uh, parents to kids, like teaching them how to how to do that. Oh, yeah, nice. And, but she's 
started to um, talk more about progressive Christianity and things like that. But one of the things that she outlines, because she has a marketing background, that's what her degree's in, right. is the way that those uh, special interest groups use marketing. Oh, absolutely. And so she like goes through and breaks down. She has a book called Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture, um, Faithfully Different. And she goes through and breaks down uh, the different tactics that are used, marketing tactics that yeah, are used nice. in order to get people to become desensitized yes. and then accept things. So that's that's pretty interesting. You can check her out. She has a YouTube uh, channel and a podcast, Natasha Crane, um, if you want to look more into what Pastor Monty is talking about. <clears throat> yeah, and there is a... Yes, that's wonderful, Josh. And there, there is a concerted effort to... Um, to desensitize yeah. society to accept certain things currently as if they are norm. Right. And so you cannot turn on any uh, any um, network uh, show today and not have a transgender or homosexual relationship uh, as part of the continuing narrative in order to uh, desensitize and bring people to think, well, it's just normal. I mean, there are some, but it's it's very rare. Very rare. Very, very rare. rare. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, let's yeah, let's go ahead and close out the show. The True Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Alethea Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, uh, part of the Vigilance Radio Network, which is part of our online ministry part of our web portal that helps uh, provide helpful and interesting resources for the church local and at large. You can see it on the screen, what we've got going on right now. If you're one of those who's enjoyed this service, remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. Remember, you can find it on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, and Facebook. Please take a second to do that so that you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. Uh, interestingly enough, on Wednesday, we will be broadcasting on our ABF channel, We'll be broadcasting a worldview class talking about comparative religions, uh, specifically dealing nice. with uh, um, uh, like polytheism and you know just sort of the belief that God is everything. So we'll be we'll be doing that. Also, pay attention. This week is Resurrection Sunday, so our weekly service will include uh, that as well. Uh, you can tune into that. Our worship team, Feast with Ravens, has prepared like a special soundtrack for that. Um, you can also check out Culture Insanity, which in theory is <laughs> also this week. Is that this week? No, it's next week. Uh, and some of the stuff that we're doing there. And the Bible with Pastor Adam every Wednesday at 9.15. So there's a lot going on. Uh, take a second to uh, um, like and subscribe to all that stuff so you know when it's coming. For us, we have content shared every Tuesday at 11 a.m. I am Pastor Josh, your co-host and senior pastor over at ABF. And this has been... Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible.